Good morning, everyone. Now, I have a question for the children and for the younger ones among us. It's a bit of an uncomfortable question, um, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you ever done something that you were told not to do? Just think about that for a moment. The adults uh, can join in too. Have you ever done anything that you were told not to do? Well, I wonder what your answer was. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Maybe you thought, yes, I've done lots of things that I was told not to do. Possibly even today you've already done something you were told not to do. Or perhaps you thought, no, I always do everything I'm told. And if that's the, if that's the case, if that's what you thought, then perhaps you're forgetting some of the times that you were told to do something and you actually did something else instead. I can remember at one time when I was probably five or six years old at school and when the teacher wasn't looking I climbed onto a table in the classroom and then I jumped off the table onto the floor. Now, I probably would have been okay but there was a decoration hanging from the ceiling and as I jumped I knocked the decoration down. So when the teacher came back into the room she knew exactly what I'd done as soon as she saw the decoration lying on the floor. And what do you think happened next? Yeah, exactly. The teacher was very cross with me and I was told off, which I didn't like at all. And it's something I've never forgotten. And I'm pretty sure all of us have done things we've been told not to do from time to time for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes we think we know best. Sometimes we just want to do what we want to do. In the story that was read to us a few minutes ago, we heard about the apostles. They were the people Jesus chose to be with him right at the beginning, doing something that they'd been told not to do. And does anyone remember what that was? Well, hopefully some of you spotted it. They were told not to speak or teach about Jesus. And that was a problem. It was a problem because Jesus had told them that they would be his witnesses that means that Jesus wanted them to tell other people about what they had seen and heard and especially about his resurrection. So they had a choice to make. Were they going to do what people told them or what God told them? And that's a difficult situation to be in. They probably felt a bit frightened and worried. But they said to the people that they had to obey God. It was more important to obey God, to do what he told them. And to keep teaching people about Jesus than to keep quiet, stop talking and no longer be his witnesses. Now, this kind of situation probably doesn't happen very often, but it's helpful to know that even though they were put in prison, even though they were hurt, they were happy because they were doing what God wanted them to do. And because of that, a lot more people got to hear about Jesus and believed in him. So we can ask ourselves a question. What is it that God is asking us to do? You see, we're important to God, each one of us. And he knows everything about us. He knows what we find easy. He knows what we find difficult. He promises to be with us and to help us, just like he was with the apostles and helped them too. Now, I actually think the most important thing that God asks, asks us to do is to love, to love him and to love one another. And he wants to help us to do that more and more. So that's something we can practice doing today and every day. If God asks us to do something, we need his help. 
We need to be listening to what he says and we need to be ready to do whatever he asks. It won't always be easy, but we can see from this example with the apostles that it's the best. So while you're doing the activities and later on today, perhaps you can talk about this if you want to and ask one another at home, what helps us to listen to God and to do the things that he asks us to do? To technology like television, uh, the internet and smartphones, we've become used to seeing extraordinary things on a regular basis. Just very recently, the high quality images from the surface of Mars have amazed and impressed us and special effects in films and TV series have become so advanced that it's hard to distinguish between what is real and what's been created by computers. And I wonder what impact this has on what people believe and what they believe to be true. These past few weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Acts, which is a book that follows on directly from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And it's a similar kind of book written by Luke as a sequel of sorts to his Gospel. It begins immediately after the death and resurrection of Jesus and sets out to tell us what happens next. At the very start of his Gospel, Luke wrote that he'd carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He says that he put together eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life so that we can be sure or certain of what we've been taught. And I think Luke talks about certainty because he knows that he's writing, he's writing about extraordinary events, things that would normally be hard for people to believe or understand. Right at the beginning of the book of Acts, he tells us that Jesus gave his followers many convincing proofs that he was alive. And I think it's important that Luke says this because otherwise it would be easy to doubt something as extraordinary as the resurrection. Just as the Gospels are full of extraordinary events, so things continue in the same way in this book of Acts. Over recent weeks, we've heard about some of these things. What happened on the day of Pentecost, for example, when the apostles suddenly spoke in all the languages under the sun. Then there was the healing of a 40-year-old man outside the temple by Peter and John, someone who had never previously been able to walk and suddenly jumped to his feet. And last week we heard about Ananias and Sapphira, the husband and wife who dropped dead suddenly because they'd lied to everyone about some money they'd kept for themselves. Then in the passage today, we have the apostles escaping from prison, helped by an angel who gets them out without the guards or anyone else even noticing. These are all extraordinary events. And I wonder if they leave us with questions about what to believe. Or perhaps our questions are more to do with how we should respond. What do these events tell us about how God wants us to live our lives? And what are we meant to do in light of these things? These are questions that are worth thinking about, I think. Today's passage begins in quite a dramatic way, and it reveals something about the religious authorities. The high priest and his associates were the leaders of their day, experts in matters related to the law and to God. And Luke tells us that they were filled with jealousy. So immediately we're wondering what's caused this? What is it that's happened? 
And by just going back to the very last thing wrote before the part we're looking at this morning, we read that crowds have gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. All of them. So this is another of the extraordinary situations that we're told about by Luke. People were being healed and restored to health en masse, which is reminiscent of the many times when people who were ill were brought to Jesus and he healed them all. Now imagine if we'd been there to see it. How would we have reacted, I wonder? And how would I react if this happened today? But we know how the high priest and his associates reacted. Luke tells us that they were filled with jealousy. And this is a very human response, isn't it? They're probably comparing themselves to the apostles and feeling outdone or outshone, or at the very least that their authority and position is being challenged. Jealousy is a a strong emotion that can easily lead to other strong emotions like frustration, anger, hatred even. Jealousy can also lead to a a forceful reaction, as it does here. They give the order for the apostles to be arrested and put in jail. The high priest wants to put a complete stop to what's happening, even though many people were benefiting. He felt threatened, and so the apostles are locked up, imprisoned, put behind bars. Not, Not because they've committed some crime, but because they've offended the wrong people, people in authority, people who have the power to throw others into jail. Perhaps one of the questions we have in our current situation, where we've been in lockdown for months and we've been living with enormous restrictions and concerns since this time last year, not to mention all the people who caught COVID and those who have had to go to hospital and the 120,000 or more people who've died as a result. Perhaps the thing we wonder about is the question, what is God doing? What should we be doing, perhaps? And these are good questions to ask when things are difficult, when there are unexpected challenges. They're questions that the apostles were probably asking themselves when the temple guard turned up to take them away. But they didn't have to wait long before there was an answer of sorts, because during the night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them opened the doors of the, pri- of the prison and brought them out. Again, imagine being there at that moment. What thoughts would be going through your mind? Relief, perhaps, that here was God intervening to rescue you from an unjust situation. Or thankfulness to God for a miraculous escape from whatever punishment the authorities were planning. Almost certainly you'd be thinking about getting away to a safe place, possibly going into hiding or heading back home to Galilee, where you'd be harder to find, perhaps. So it's a surprise to discover that the angel has come not only to free the apostles from jail, but also to give them instructions about where they're to go next. He tells them to go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. The authorities want to stop the apostles But the angel of the Lord commands them to do, to continue to do exactly what they've been doing since the day of Pentecost. Telling people about the resurrection, acting as witnesses, speaking freely about all they've seen and heard. So what do you think 
they would have felt at that moment. Fear, perhaps, trepidation, anxiety. Or it might have been excitement, anticipation and amazement. In fact, Luke doesn't tell us anything about their feelings or emotions, but he does tell us that they obey this instruction without any hesitation. At daybreak, they enter the temple courts, as they'd been told, and begin to teach the people. Now, whether the apostles felt like running away and hiding, we we don't know. What we do know is that the boldness that they had prayed for previously doesn't desert them here. They go willingly and have confidence in God's power and direction. They can probably guess, just as we can, what the outcome of this public preaching and teaching is likely to be. The important thing seems to be that God is the one taking the initiative here. The apostles are not trying to create a confrontation with the authorities or escalate a conflict that began when Peter and John healed the man outside the temple. If you've been following the series uh, these past few weeks, you'll remember that Peter and John have already spent a night in jail and faced the Sanhedrin, the council of all the elders of Israel. So we come back to the question, what is God doing in this situation? What's God's purpose in all of this? The high priest and his associates send officers to bring the apostles from the jail. But of course they're not there. And everyone is at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone says, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. So the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles to the council of elders. And let's just pause again for a moment. We've already heard this passage read to us earlier, so we know what's going to happen here. But imagine we're actually there as the apostles are brought in to face the authorities. What would be the first question you'd expect the high priest to ask them? I think I would have wanted to know how they'd managed to get out of the jail without anyone seeing. And how is it that so many people are being healed? I'd want to find out from these men just what is going on. But no, it seems that the high priest is more concerned about his own authority, power and reputation. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. That's what the high priest says to the, to the apostles. You see, this is a, a power struggle, isn't it? The apostles are not doing what they've previously been told by the religious leaders. In fact, they're doing the exact opposite. And that's a direct challenge to the authority, to the high priest, uh, the high priest and the council of elders. Conflicts happen all the time in normal life. There's no avoiding them because, to be honest, we're all very different. And each one of us has our own unique perspective on every situation we find ourselves in. Conflicts can easily turn into battles or confrontation where lines are drawn and sides are taken. And that's because we often feel like we need to defend our position or our way of seeing things. We can easily feel attacked or pressurised. And in those kinds of situations, it's easy to lose perspective and forget to ask God how he sees things and how he regards the people involved. I'm sure you've experienced just as I have some conflict situations over the past year with family or friends disagreeing about what to do with the COVID restrictions or other things. It's helpful to see how Peter and the apostles respond to the high priest. They don't say a lot, 
But what they say is essentially exactly the same as when Peter and John were brought before the elders the previous time. There's consistency in their message and deep conviction. We must obey God rather than you. God raised Jesus from the dead. You killed Jesus by hanging him on a cross. God exalted Jesus to his right hand to bring everyone to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I wonder what we make of this speech. It's certainly clear and to the point. It isn't hard to follow or understand. The apostles are repeating what they know and are convinced of. This takes courage because of the situation they're in. They know that they're challenging the authority of these religious leaders, but they they know that there's a greater authority. And what they're doing is completely consistent with their confidence in God's purposes and his almighty power. And this is surely an example for us. What the apostles have said before the high priest and the elders would have been hard to take. These are ordinary, uneducated men. In one sense, they're they're nobodies. Why should the authorities listen to them? The question the high priest and the elders should be asking is, what is God doing here? What is it that God is saying? Because it seems like God is giving them an opportunity to change, to admit what they've done, to recognise who Jesus truly is, and to receive God's forgiveness for their wrongdoing. But it's so hard, isn't it? Much easier to accuse others, to find fault in what other people say or do, and refuse to accept someone else's perspective or experience. And the result here is anger, as it so often is. The high priest and his associates are furious and want to put the apostles to death. They misinterpret their words as pure defiance, a rejection of the council's God-given authority, something that needs to be stopped once and for all. And what happens next is a real surprise. In fact, the whole book of Acts is full of drama and things that we wouldn't expect to happen. The thing that God is committed to is the ongoing communication of the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised rescuer and redeemer of mankind. There's no other plan for saving people. Everyone needs to know this. God wants all of us to experience his forgiveness and grace and for that to make a difference in how we relate to him and to everyone around us. The apostles don't doubt God's ability to rescue them. They've already escaped from jail through the help of an angel, a supernatural act that also led them to be in this situation. They know that their lives are in danger, but they know that God is with them too. Such courage is inspiring, and perhaps it was their example which gave Gamaliel, one of the members of the council, the courage to stand up and to speak out. He's respected and very respectful in the way that he speaks. He wants to encourage the other elders to consider carefully what they're about to do to the apostles. And then, with God-given wisdom and understanding, he reminds them of other examples of people who made claims about themselves and had followers who wanted to bring about change or revolution, but in the end were killed and it all came to nothing. Gamaliel is also a man of conviction He says that if the apostle's purpose is of human origin, then it will ultimately fail. But if God is the one who's at work through them, then it'll be impossible to stop them. 
Fighting against God is futile. God's purposes always succeed, always prevail. So the apostles are released and they get to see another day, knowing that their lives are in God's hands. And having been flogged and ordered not to speak again in the name of Jesus, they rejoice because they know that what counts is not what human authorities have decided, but what God has empowered them for. A life of telling others about Jesus the Messiah. And that's what they do. Luke tells us every day from house to house and in the temple courts, they never stop teaching about Jesus, proclaiming this good news to everyone, fulfilling the role that God has given them to testify to his grace and power. This chapter certainly ends on a high note and is encouraging because it gives us an example of how God can turn opposition into opportunity. The apostles suffered disgrace, not for doing anything wrong, but for doing what God had told them to do. And so rather than being filled with bitterness or anger, they rejoice. Now, it would be easy to conclude with the idea that we need to be more like the apostles and do what they were doing. But to be honest, I'm not convinced that making such a direct application is helpful. We can easily feel guilty, I think, that we're not speaking about Jesus to those around us all the time or seeing signs and wonders and experiencing healings or other miracles like the apostles did. God's purposes are unstoppable and we can be thankful for the apostles and rejoice too that they were able to teach with such courage and conviction that Jesus was the one God had promised would come to rescue. God enabled them to do that because he wants ordinary people, people like us, to experience his extraordinary power and learn to live lives of love. This is the life, the life that the apostles spoke about, the life that God offers to everyone, the life that's possible because God exists and is always at work. I want to encourage each one of us to think about what we can learn from the example of the apostles and these accounts of God's working of God working through them and to ask God to fulfill his purposes through our lives too so let's pray father god thank you that you are the almighty god who rules over every situation and circumstance our lives and all our ways are in your hands and we want to ask you to forgive us for the times that we think or act against your purposes and love. Lord, please fill us with your grace and your Holy Spirit so that we can be the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.